ghosts, cryptids, murder, conspiracies, beer, what, the, ale. Hello friends, welcome to What the Ale. Um, I'm Alana Ray. And I'm Mama J. And uh, we're back at it again. I'm sure you guys have heard some interesting stories and episodes from us already, and thanks for sticking with us. And we're going to get into one of my favorite cases, but, uh, you know, we uh, just wanted to say we really appreciate all the love we're getting and everything, and keep liking and subscribing and following and suggesting, because we want to, like, make this the best possible podcast for you all. Absolutely. Um, so, Mom, I decided to do something related to one of your favorite spooky story type things. Spooky story type things? Yes. My favorites? I wouldn't say a favorite, but, Mom, what's the scariest movie of all time? Oh. <laughs> well, according to my dad. Or <laughs> yeah. Okay. The scariest story of all time, according to my dad, is the original Exorcist. Yes. Now, for all you young people, <laughs> I just want to say, if you haven't seen it and you run out and watch it, because it's supposed to be the scariest thing, according to my dad, you have to remember technology. It was not then what it is now, so it was very yes. scary for its time. Yeah. In 1974, the effects were very different, you know, but we could still love and appreciate. Yes. And I would like to say that was before I was even born. I didn't see it until I was 12 when my dad <laughs> insisted it was the scariest movie he'd ever seen, and I had to watch it. Um, yeah. So. And honestly, it is pretty spooky. It does stand up. But the, the, the techniques effects and not, the effects are not quite The, the effects are not great. Um so, I originally was just going to do kind of the actual case that inspired The Exorcist, okay. but then I didn't have a ton of notes on there, so then I decided to do a little something special at the end. Okay. So. A little something special, like, about the movie production? Uh-huh. Ooh, girl, I know what you're going to talk about. Cool. <laughs> oh, I'm down. Lots of things. Lots of things. I'm down. Let's get into it. All right. Let's get into it. So, the actual case that most people believe the exorcist is based on um is a exorcism case in 1949 okay. on a kid that lived in like the suburbs of washington dc okay um did the movie actually say it was based on a real i don't remember was it supposed it, to be based on a real case or so the movie is based on a book okay that is based on this case oh okay so it's kind of a couple degrees of separation okay um, and I'll get into, like, main differences, but, yeah, let's get into it. So, famously, this is The Exorcism of Roland Doe, if you did not know this already. Um, and I want to say Roland Doe is actually a pseudonym that was used mm -hmm. for the kid to protect their identity. Um, though, in the past, like, few years, it has come out that they believe it's Ronald Hunkler, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Ronald Hunkler because he seems like a cool dude. Okay, but the name Roland Doe is kind of a cool name because it kind of sounds like Rolling in the Doe. And oh, like, yeah. I wouldn't mind me Rolling in the Doe. I think, I think if I ever started a band, I'd call it Rolling Doe. I think it's a good name. I think it's I like a great it. name. It's very, very remarkable. Yeah. It sounds rich. <laughs> I know. It's just, it, it, it's got some mystique to it. I yeah. Know, I love it. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely a better 
rolls off the tongue better than the other name you Roland said. Roland Hunkler. Roland Hunkler. But Roland Hunkler was a badass. Okay. We're going to get into that. I look forward to hearing about <laughs> his badassery. <laughs> but anyway, so like I said, this was in uh, or near Washington, D.C. I believe it was on the Maryland side. I did not write down the town. Don't be mad at me. Um, but, you know, Roland basically was just starting to experience some strange things. And this kind of aligns with the death of his Aunt Harriet. And she was kind of like a self-proclaimed spiritualist. She taught Roland many things about like the spiritualism occult thing, including how to use a Ouija board to contact spirits. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so she passed kind of suddenly, like, um, and he wasn't, you know, handling it well. Like, I think they were really close and like, he was just very much in his grief. And so the story goes that he used a Ouija board to try to communicate with her. Okay. And so, you know, there's kind of differing stories. Some people think that he was trying to reach out to her. Some people think that him and the aunt reached out to something and then never closed the door. Mm. So those damn Ouija boards. You gotta be. You always gotta. <laughs> the good. Literally, you don't even have to go back and forth for the good, good. The goodbye. You just go right over it. Like it's not that hard to close out a Ouija board. Um, but they, they struggled. Okay. <laughs> um, and whatever happened, they didn't close it out, and so. After the seances or whatever he was having, he started noticing scratching in his room. Hmm. Water was dripping from pipes in the walls. Like, it was just, like, kind of seeping into the room. Like, not normal. Like, not just, like, condensation. Like, water was just, like, coming through walls. Hmm. Or, like, off of pipes. Okay. Which is weird. But, like, again, you're like, okay, but condensation. But, like... Or do we need to call a plumber? Yeah, I'm like, that that could be explained. Um, He... They did witness furniture moving on its own, and, like, this meant, like, his bed would, like, violently shake, like, totally in any horror movie where the bed starts moving and lifting and stuff. Um, And this wasn't just at home. It actually was happening at school. So, like, books and papers and pencils and stuff would just, like, fly off of his desk at school, and his desk would rattle. Hmm. And And other people witnessed that, too? In the classrooms, yeah. Really? And so he was getting bullied so much, and, like, he was so freaked out that, like, his parents pulled him out of school because they were like, we're going to figure this out. Did the bullies think he was doing it, or? Yeah, I think, like, you know, they thought, okay, this kid is, like, seeking attention and, like, whatever. And I think, again, like, he was lost in his grief, and there is maybe some evidence that maybe he's lost in his grief and he's just like acting out and okay. this is what this whole case was okay but i will let you decide that for yourself as we okay i will make the decision for all of us <laughs> i know it's up to you it's Mom. up to me i will be the deciding factor <laughs> and yeah so the parents were kind of thinking the same thing they're like he's just a bad kid he's acting out like we're gonna punish you but then as they started to see things physically happening they were like he can't do all of this on his yeah. own and so they were like, okay, let's start with the doctor. The doctor's like, there's nothing physically wrong with him. So then they go to the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist is like, mentally, he's all right. Like, he's sad his aunt's dead, but that's it. So then they go to a local minister. I think it was a Lutheran minister. <laughs> and um, his name is Reverend, Reverend Schultz. And he actually suggested that the family seek help from the Jesuits. And again, this is another complete denomination. Like, mm-hmm. it seems kind of silly that, you know, he's sending them. But this is what happened and why he was like, you need to go talk to a priest. Okay. So he thought that 
maybe there was a poltergeist in the house and that could explain the for those who thought there was a sharp cut our dog was doing something strange okay um but anyway so the reverend was like okay it sounds kind of poltergeisty sounds kind of weird but we're gonna figure it out so at first he met roland in his house and the bed started vibrating and then he was like okay well let's put roland in the armchair and then he puts roland in the armchair and the armchair starts shaking mm. so then he was like okay let's just put the mattress on the floor and then so he puts the mattress on the floor and the mattress starts sliding around and lifting up and down okay so, so again, he was like testing out did did he have it rigged somehow or yeah he was trying to figure out if like it was him messing around yeah. like maybe he figured something out and then i do think he also was like is it the bed in general or is it like Roland yeah so this is how he kind of realized that something was kind of attached to Roland um so then the family decides to go to Father Hughes and um he's a local Jesuit in the DC area and he was granted permission to perform an exorcism in February of 1949 so they were doing all sorts of meetings and stuff leading up to this obviously again wanting to make sure an exorcism was like the last resort. What are like are there certain qualifications in order to get approval for an exorcism? So basically it's kind of what the family did. So it starts with like, you know, let's see if there's anything physically wrong. Let's see if it's mental health. Let's see if it's X, Y, and Z. Okay. Um and the idea is to rule everything out. Okay. Because I think um I don't know if I actually wrote this down, but I do think like it seems like an exorcism would be really traumatic, especially for like a fourteen year old. <laughs> I think it would be traumatic for anybody, but yeah, that young, you know, being tied to a bed and yelled at and like whatever, like if it was mental health or something like, yeah, that sounds horrible. It'd be better, you know, to rule everything out. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what father Hughes was doing initially. And so he, one of the first things he noticed was that the temperature would drop when Roland came into a room, Mm -hmm. like it would be like 65 and then it would drop to like 50. Okay. Or, you know, something very drastic like that. Okay. Um, and that Roland would speak to him in Latin, which he didn't know Latin, so yeah. why is he talking in Latin? <laughs> and I mean, again, this is like at the time, too, like when at Mass and stuff, you did speak Latin, but it was like not like prayers. It was like actually like like conversations that mm-hmm. people would have in Latin. Okay. Um, and then there's obviously like the classic, like, an aversion to like religious items and so Roland would like glare at the Bible which Father Hughes was like oh yeah this is totally a sign of possession um and he was pretty much convinced for sure when the boy came to visit him at his office and a phone flew off of his office desk okay and he also you know Roland would do the typical like swearing up and down and saying all sorts of obscenities to the priest which I'm not gonna say because they're uncomfy okay (laughs) so uh anyway like I said in February of 1949 they decided to do the exorcism so Roland was strapped to the bed um and he Father Hughes began the recitations whatever the exorcist prayer is and In that time, Roland was able to slip out of the restraints. He broke off a piece of a mattress spring and slashed the priest across the arms and shoulders with that. My gosh. Um, And, like, maybe that doesn't sound crazy, but, like, this priest needed 100 stitches. Oh, my gosh. 
So, so there were some big cuts. Yeah, the way they described they it was scratches. it was from like shoulder to wrist. Like it was like his oh, whole yeah. arm was slashed. So he's very lucky no major arteries were and hit. Through his clothes and everything. Gosh. Yeah. And I mean priests were like heavy. Yeah. So that's some force to yeah. like go through and like yeah. Um and he actually attempted or he never attempted to help the boy after this. He was like, this is above my pay grade. Like, I'm done. <laughs> and you know what? Like, honestly, I don't blame them. Um, and he said that, like, Roland had, like, more strength than, like, an adult man. And that, like, they needed, like, four people to hold him down after that. Okay. So, I'm not saying, you know, again, He's, like, 14, so maybe he is strong, but, like, that seems, like, a little extra strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then, a few days later, and I, I do want to say, like, there had been scratching on the walls and, like, scratching, like, small scratches appearing on his body, but nothing crazy. Okay. But then what happened a few days later was the name Lewis appeared on the boy's chest. Okay. And um, they apparently, Aunt Harriet was from St. Louis, and they had a whole bunch of family there, so the family oh. was like... Oh, we have to go to St. Louis. <laughs> okay. Which is kind of a jump, but like maybe again if he had like contacted her, I guess that's like a natural sort of thought. Okay. So they go to St. Louis and they actually ask the spirit, like, is that do you want us to go to St. Louis? And apparently yes appeared on the boy's stomach. While they were watching? Yes. Holy cow. Okay. So again, terrifying that would freak me out as a parent to see that happen to my child yeah and so they they were like okay even if like he's not possessed and he's just acting out this could be like a really good source of support for him like you know being around family but so, after witnessing that how would you possibly think he's just acting out well that's what it is too like the self-harm piece like whether he's doing it to himself or but they a- watch the yes appear or it I don't know if the yes... I, oh, okay. They didn't really explain that. Okay. It was, like, kind of just, like, written in the story. But, like, Lewis, like, it was just one day they, like, changed his shirt or something. And it was, like, on the boy's chest. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I And I can't remember if the yes, like, actually appeared or if it was, like, there later. Okay. Um, okay I was going to say, if they watched it appear, they should have no doubt. <laughs> yeah. That would be no doubt to yeah. me. But, uh, anyway. So, they had a relative who was attending St. Louis University... And so she connected the family with fathers Halloran and Bowdern, who were like, all right, we might have to do an exorcism. And they actually went to the university president, and he must have gotten Vatican approval because that's what you need to do an exorcism. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so before, you know, they got the official approval, they did meet with Roland, and they said everything seemed pretty normal until they left. And... This is something that we're going to get into a little bit, but, like, everything was normal, and then they left, and the boy began experiencing the shaking bed, and a bookshelf moved on its own, and this bookshelf, like, blocked the door to the bedroom that he was in, and... Blocked people from getting in, or blocked people from leaving? Getting in. Getting in. Okay, so he was in there alone. He was in there alone, but they were like, this is, like, a 12-foot-tall bookshelf and a boy moving it on his own without us hearing it like that seems mm-hmm. sketch yeah um and then my understanding is like they must have like been able to like wedge their way in or something cause, okay you know whatever but they eventually got in they got okay. in and um that's when they were like all right we're doing an exorcism so i want to 
say at this exorcism there were nine priests oh and gosh. 48 witnesses. I've well, I guess I haven't studied much on exorcism, but that seems like a lot of people in one room. So I don't know if they were all in the same room or, or the if they because it. It, it took a few days. It took okay. a few sessions. So maybe it was like over time there were more. That's a lot of people though. But yeah, that's a lot of people witnessing. But if, I was going to say if there's that many witnesses, it's got to be well documented though. Although I guess you can have witness accounts be very different. A lot of the documentation actually, it comes from um, Halloran himself. He like kept a diary during this time. And so a lot of the account is from his diary. Um, but a lot of the like witnesses... They were kind of like sworn to secrecy. <laughs> um, and like like I said, like the boy's um, identity was kind of masked and there was all that to like protect. So there's not, there is documentation of the case, but it's like kind of hidden. Like you got to go looking for it. Okay. Um, but so this is where we kind of get into other things that they're like, yeah, we got to do this exorcism. So they witnessed scratches appearing on the boy's body as well as the mattress shaking. So they actually were seeing the scratches appear. It wasn't like words, but they saw just like a scratch appear here, a scratch appear there. Okay. Um, and there was a scratch that came that was like, it began on his thigh and went down to his ankle. And it was like a, a deep enough scratch that like it did draw a little bit of blood, but it was shaped like a trident base or like a pitchfork. Oh, Okay. And they're like, oh, the devil carries a pitchfork. <laughs> well, in Halloween costumes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, this is 1949. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, <laughs> I don't I, know. I don't know how real that is, but yeah, definitely in Halloween costumes, there's a pitchfork. Yeah. And then an X was actually scratched into his chest. Okay. And they said that they believe that represented the number 10 oh. in Roman numerals. And they so they took that to believe that there were 10 demons in his body. Okay. <laughs> Which... That's as much of a description as I found about the number 10. Okay. Um, but I don't know. Um, he also, like, would pr- propose to do, like, sexual favors for the priests. Like, very much like Reagan and the Exorcist mm-hmm. being creepy with the crucifix. Yeah. Um, and they did notice something about his behavior, which, again, goes into was he doing it himself. And it was that during the day, he seemed mostly normal. Hmm. But the second the sun went down, he went freaking crazy. Like, he would just be, like, talking in tongues. Is that normal tongues and... for possession, or is that an unusual thing? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I really don't know. Like, I think I was trying to find that. I mean, if there were 10 demons, you'd think they would just tag team and be up all night, all night, all day. Right, right. <laughs> and it, it's so hard because, again, like, with an exorcism, like, there were other things, too. Like, apparently he didn't, like... The only food that he could keep down or something was ice cream. So then they're like, that sounds like a kid being like, I want to have ice cream for every meal. Like, yeah. So there were weird things where it's like, is he faking it or was this real? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, he would have like completely changed demeanors when it was like time for bed. Like it would be like, they'd be like, okay, Roland, let's go to bed. And then he'd be like, oh, blah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I don't know. But they also noticed that he would go into almost, like, trance-like states, and he would speak in this, like, guttural voice. Okay. And when he did this, they would actually see objects flying around. 
and he would react super violently to like religious objects. Mm-hmm. And apparently they used there's like different levels of relics you could use and they use like whatever the like top tier strongest type of relic is, which is basically like a piece of a saint. <laughs> a piece of a saint like <laughs> so, a toenail or <laughs> Yeah, like toe, hair, finger, tooth, like Really? Yeah. And okay. they would like put those on his pillow and he would like he like would get like burns. Like okay. it was weird. So there are weird things that also, like, I mean, if you've seen a horror movie, it sounds like an exorcism situation. Well, and, you know, demons are tricksters, right? So maybe they were trying to, like, play up the he's just a kid thing to, like, get less attention or... Totally. I don't know. Totally. Maybe they wanted a few less crucifixes in the room and such if they could get people to not be interested and leave. Yeah. So, and I want to make it clear, like, this wasn't, like, a one-and-done exorcism. They did this for a month. Oh, my gosh. They were visiting And... So I mentioned the X and the pitchfork, but other scratches and words would appear in welts. And, like, they were just, like, they were in places that would be impossible for him to spell a word, like, on his back or, like, places that would just be really difficult. He couldn't reach, yeah. You know? Um, And apparently he once threw up, and they believed that it was a sign that he had expelled the demon, but it had returned. So, like, he threw up and was like, I'm normal. And then, like, the demon came back. Which... It wasn't pea soup, though. They did okay. not say it was pea soup. Well, was it projectile? <laughs> no, it, it just sounded like he like kind of did like a who, and okay. like it seemed like the demon came out, but it wasn't. Okay. Um, and so on three, on three, on March twentieth, um, Roland actually got to a point where they were really concerned for the boy's health. Okay. So all of this they were doing at home, but what happened this day was he like ur- was urinating on himself. And, like, cursing at the priests and doing stuff with fecal matter. Don't want to get too into that okay, just yeah, it's kind of gross. But they were like, sound fun? this seems, like, more mentally unwell than, like, yeah. the possession. And so they brought him to the Alexian Brothers Hospital for more serious treatment. It was a Catholic hospital, so it was easy, too, because they could, like, have him in, like, the chapel and stuff as they needed. Um, and so... He, when he got to the hospital the next day, like, he started having, like, really bad convulsions, and he actually broke a priest's nose, like, by, like, swinging his arm or something. Okay. They didn't say he, like, actually, like, punched the priest or something, just in this... Just flailing about. Yeah. Um, and then there was a day where he was walking in a garden with the, sta- the Stations of the Cross, and... If you don't know what those are, it's, like, the path Jesus took from, like, sentencing to his death and, like, resurrection. And if you go to Catholic school, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're in every church. (laughs) (laughs) But he was walking in the garden, and he actually, like, sprinted towards the edge of a cliff. And Halloran had to, like, use his entire body force to keep Roland from jumping off the cliff. Mm. So, again, that's not... I mean, if he was, like, really deep in his grief and maybe dealing with a lot, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a demon in him, but that's just uncharacteristic of him in general or most people to, like, run randomly while going for a walk outside, I guess. Yeah, it could be mental health, too, but... Right. Yeah, but it's interesting because you would think the demon would not, well, would not want to do something to kill the host. You know, I mean, I know they cause a lot of damage, but... Well, but if they could, like, jump from host to host... That's true. If they're trying to wreak havoc, I mean, I guess it's one way. Um, but yeah, very, 
just strange behavior in general for this like 12 year old kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then they placed a bust of St. Saint, Saint Saint Michael, my goodness, in his room at the hospital. And I guess like St. Michael protects from evil spirits. So like the idea was to like try to ward stuff off, but weird stuff was still happening. Yeah. Um, so everything actually seemed to kind of calm down after they put the statue in his room. So they were like, oh, you can go home. And he went home for like five days and then things got kind of weird. So there was just this day where he was kind of sitting there and his family was like, what's up? And he was like, give me a piece of paper. I want to write something. And he wrote all sorts of like weird stuff. But the main kind of concept was that the entity will remain for 10 days. Like that was in words? Yeah, he like wrote that on the paper. Okay. The entity will remain for 10 days. Um, and he was like, again, like he was just acting hysterical and wild the whole time. It was really hard. But they, um, he wrote the message and they were just like, does that mean that like he's going to die in 10 days? Does this mean he's only going to be possessed for 10 days? Does this mean something crazy? Like, you know, Apocalypse. I know. Like, 10 days. Okay. They're like, we don't know what this means. Um, and then on April 18th, Roland started experiencing like seizures in the hospital. And he told the priest that Satan would always be with him. And they laid like holy relics, crucifixes, rosar- rosaries, holy water, you name it. were all just like put on his body. And they were, like, he said they were burning his skin. Like, it hurt his skin to have them on there. Okay. Uh, The accounts didn't say if, like, he actually was, like, getting burns. Okay. But he was, like, it burns, you know. Um, So then, oops, work with me. Okay, there we go. So then he was having one of his, like, trance moments, and he was speaking in a demonic way and said Dominus, which is Latin for Lord. And at 10.45 p.m. that night, they called on St. Michael to expel Satan. And for a moment, his body violently shook. And then he allegedly emerged from his trance and said, it's gone, he's like, he's gone, it's over. Okay. And he explained that he had a vision of St. Michael brandishing a sword and fighting Satan and banishing him to hell. And then moments after kind of this image and him coming out of the trance, there was a massive boom that shook the whole hospital. Okay. And apparently there's like a image of St. Michael or something in the hospital and it was like completely illuminated on the property. And I guess it was Who saw that? other priests that were there it was like in the chapel or something and it was lit up and beautiful okay um and like they they kind of they said it was a boom and they made it they were like it sounded like if you like hear a bomb in a movie like it was like a boom and that was not heard anywhere else like in the surrounding area oh it's like nobody in the neighborhood heard it It was just in the hospital just at the hospital huh so again weird so (laughs) Um, well, I'm sure there's a demon, like, he wouldn't want to be hanging out in a hospital full of, you know, Catholic people and Catholic priests and oh, artifacts yeah. and all the things. Yeah, and that's the thing. So there's there's actually a piece, so, like, if you've seen The Exorcist, you know that the one priest, like, takes the demon in himself and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, jumps out the window and supposedly the demon's no more. And similarly in this case, 
very alleged. I've only found one account of this, but I guess one of the priests working on the case actually became possessed and like died in the days following the exorcism. And he was like using explicit words and like tried to choke a nurse to death and like everything like that. And he like stayed in the hospital and like eventually died hmm. from whatever was going on with him. So okay. whether that was like a psychotic episode or a demon possessed him, we don't know, but the boy was fine after that. Okay. Um, and he like, a- according to every account, it seems like he went on to live a normal life. His family went back to the East coast and you know, supposedly got married and had a family. And we didn't know until, like, 2021 who the kid was. Okay. And that's because his true identity was kind of revealed when he had passed away at the age of 85 in 2021. Okay. So, just a quick brief. They just, like, wrote that in the the, um, obituary. They were like, this was the (laughs) motivation for the exorcist movie. We want you all to know he was a star. Yeah, there was like there was like a press release or something that came out that like the identity identity of the case of Rolando has been reportedly found and like the kid died and all of that. Um, and the thing I want to say is that that Roland claims that he has no memories of the experience. Okay. Um. So, who they believe it is is Ronald Hunkler, and. I think he's pretty cool. He worked for NASA for over 40 years. Oh, my gosh. And he was, like, literally a rocket scientist. He, he like, worked on the tech that, like, would was to prevent, like, space shuttles and things from, ca- like, from exploding when they reentered the atmosphere. Okay. So, like, he helped develop that technology. Um, and he, like, worked on the Apollo missions in the 60s um, and all of that. So, say what you will, like... He seemed to do a good a good thing for the world despite his very tragic uh, middle school life. Yeah. Um, and something interesting about him, too, is I guess one of his neighbors um, in one of the news articles did say, like, she was like, yeah, he was a guy that, like, he wouldn't stay in town during Halloween because he was scared people would come and seek him out. And, oh, like, really? make fun of him and, like, target him. And so, like, his name, it was a neighbor or someone he worked with or something. She was like, yeah, he wouldn't. He would, like, get out of Dodge. Like, when Where it was would Halloween. he go? I guess he had a second house or, like, a oh, cabin, okay. so he would just, like, go there. Um, huh. But. That sounds like some trauma stuff. But I think that makes yeah. sense. Like, I mean, Halloween is kind of a spooky spooky holiday. People love the macabre. I mean, we've been to Salem and done ghost tours places. So, yeah. like, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me if, like, people who knew who he was would, like, track him down, which yeah. is really sad. Yeah, I get that. Um. But yeah, so that's kind of all we know about Roland or Ronald. Um, but I do think that's really cool that he was a rocket scientist. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Bodern lived until 1983, and Halloran, um, the other priest, died in 2005. And the Alexian Brothers Hospital was torn down in 1978, but pretty much like had closed down after the exorcism, like within a couple years. Oh, really? So whatever happened at that hospital, I'm not saying the exorcism did it, but it was interesting. And also because like 1978 was right after the movie came out. So the case like got kind of attention again. So I do think that's interesting. Um, And so a lot of the account of this case, like I mentioned, you get from Bodern and Halloran's diaries. Okay. And I watched a documentary about the case. um, 
And the people in the documentary did say, like, they had a relative of one of the priests, and she was like, he was a really straight-laced guy, and he never wanted to talk about it, and he was, like, a no-nonsense guy. Like, he wouldn't even, like, pull a prank on you. So the idea that, like, he, like, believed this was a real thing and was so terrified he wouldn't talk about it, but we mm-hmm. just found it in his journal. Or he, yeah, some of it, he, oh, no, the priest's journal. The priest. Oh, okay, I thought you meant the kid. I was like, yeah, but if he doesn't remember it, but the priest, yeah. The priest wrote it in a journal. So okay. he, like, kind of documented, and that's what a lot of, like, the accounts and, like, the books that kind of followed and everything um that's where the info mostly came from okay and then firsthand accounts with some of the witnesses the priests didn't really speak out on it at all okay well they're probably kind of sworn to secrecy about a lot of that stuff i feel like there is confidentiality yeah with priests yeah i absolutely think so and then i think the vatican probably doesn't want i know a whole lot of information out there so especially when it became like a one of the most famous movies of all time yeah so the main theories, obviously, with this is that maybe the kid was faking. Mm-hmm. And like I said early on, he there were markings on his body that would appear that said, no school. Or like, I don't know, like no school or like, you know, silly, kind of silly messages. And a lot of the messages would actually appear like when people weren't in the room Mm. and same with like the scratches on the walls and stuff. So they were like, well, feasibly if he's in his room alone with the doors closed, he could walk quietly and scratch the walls and he could whatever. And if like he was grieving, I guess logically you could think maybe he's acting out. Maybe he's needing some help. Yeah. (laughs) But then it's like, okay, they did take him to psychiatrists and doctors and like the bed shaking and the fact that like, you know, you're witnessing, like, a mattress lift off the ground and a recliner. I mean, a recliner, I guess, you could kind of shake. But, like... But there were, like, objects floating around and stuff, too. That's so. what they said. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, even, like, the aversion to, like, religious things. I mean, I guess you could fake that. But, like... Like, to me, it's, like, the welts that appeared that were words that he couldn't have reached and stuff. That's what I think is odd. Yeah. Um. I guess some people said he was, like, a prankster. <laughs> um... And, you know, it could easily be the case of a kid acting out. Um, And like I had mentioned earlier, like, he apparently only ate ice cream for a while during (laughs) this whole thing or, like, was barely eating at all and he would only eat ice cream. Um, But something that, like, honestly doesn't... This is almost ghosty to me, but, like, he was not religious, really, after Mm -hmm. this happened. And right before his death, a Catholic priest appeared at his home to perform last rites before he died, like, while he was on his deathbed. Huh. No one called the priest. No one in the family. And as far as we know, he didn't call. Huh. So. So how did the priest introduce himself to the family? Was it a ghost priest? I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> the family was just like, okay, none of us called you here, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I get I mean, they must have. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. And something interesting is that the Catholic Church has refused to confirm or deny that this case mm-hmm. was a case of possession. But again... I think they do that. <laughs> I, I think that's on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's confidential, and I think they don't want details out. And... Yeah. Yeah. So that's the case. But before we get into the movie, what do you think? Was it fake? Do you think it was real? Do you think it's hard to tell? I definitely think it's hard to tell, but like, I just, I mean, if people were actually witnessing things flying around the room or, you know, like that mattress lifting up or things like that, you know, I don't see how a 14 year old kid could fake all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, the ice cream and all that, it's kind of funny, but I'm like, I don't know if demons are kind of tricksters or, you know, whatever. Like, I could see them wanting them to think it was a joke so the priest would go away. Yeah, because I feel like there are a lot of times where the demon will pretend to do something and they'll be like, I'm gone. And then all of a sudden it's like, ha ha, I'm biting you. So I could see them, you know, a demon like (laughs) wanting to trick the priest or the church to think that, oh, this kid's faking. So doing some stupid things that a kid would do. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah, hard to know. I, it, you know, whether or not it happened, like it was clearly real to the priests. Mm-hmm. If there are like diaries and books being written based off the diaries and things like that, so, you know, I and I think it would be hard. Like if you're a 14 year old kid, like it would be hard to convince like 50 people. I was gonna say that's a lot of witnesses to, con- you know. Yeah. And I, you know, most people take a prank, but they only take it so far. Yeah. Like, that would mean this kid took the prank really far. I mean, the self-harm element alone Yeah, is I just terrifying. don't see a kid doing yeah. all that, but... Yeah, I mean, like like you said, it's hard to see, but, I mean, I guess it's possible, unless, like, the parents were in on it. But there's, like, really no evidence that, like, people thought the parents were in on it, because they mm-hmm. seemed just as freaked out as I would everyone be. else was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that being said, I want to get into The Exorcist. So, I love old horror movies my mom can vouch (laughs) yeah i wonder where you get that i know really really hard to tell um but one of my kind of favorite podcast episodes i listened to once was about the exorcist and how it's a cursed movie Mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of things and so i kind of tried to compile a list of the creepy things that happen um and we'll just kind of Go from there. I'm going to do my best. Okay. If I'm forgetting something or get some facts wrong, I apologize. I really tried to do my best here. I did not rewatch The Exorcist in preparation for this because I did not have time, but... We are busy. I recommend rewatching Pride June things, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, so, like I mentioned, The Exorcist was a book first written by William Peter Blatty, um, and then it became the movie in 1973. And there were obviously liberties taken with the film, such as the famous head turning 360 degrees, the pea suit vomit, or the very awkward crucifix scene. (laughs) (laughs) Which was really fun to watch with my dad when I was 12 years old. I watched that with friends in my dorm room, and I felt uncomfortable. I cannot imagine being with a parent, like, the first (laughs) time I watched that, not knowing it's coming. Yeah. Um, And obviously, instead of a boy, it was a little girl. Um, and the fabulous Linda Blair. Yes. Um, and the cool thing is, is that they actually did keep it set in DC. So even though Roland did end up moving to St. Louis and most of the exorcism was there, the movie set in DC. So that's pretty cool. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's all very interesting. <laughs> so I'm just going to go down the list. There's so many things. There's some quotes, there's some stuff. But I think this is the best way to do it. Okay. So, and I tried to be as like in order timeline wise as possible. But if I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, so early on in filming, the set caught on fire, mm-hmm. and this was attributed to faulty wiring. And luckily, no one was on set. Like it was, I guess, on a break or something. No one was there. Um, but production was shut down for six weeks. Then. Max von Cedro, who played Father Marin, his brother passed away the day he touched down in New York City for filming. Okay. Um, and he actually became super sick while he was filming as well. Yeah. Um, 
So again, health is health. Maybe the brother had some underlying conditions. I think that's interesting though. Um, like he got the call when he got off the plane. Like that's wow. interesting to me. Okay. Um, there was also a rumor that the director Friedkin had used audio from an actual exorcism that was performed in Rome. Um, but he claimed that he just copied the sounds from the soundtrack. Hmm. And that, like, he had the tape, but he's like, but no one's ever heard the real tape. I just, like, recreated the audio. Okay. Who knows? (laughs) I'm not gonna, (laughs) you know. Well, I guess, as an artist, maybe he wanted to be accurate, but that is a little creepy to, like, actually listen to something like that. Yeah, that'd be so, like, can you imagine? Like, creep factor, right? But if he's wanting to be accurate, I can understand a director wanting to be accurate. Yeah, like, true to to the form. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, So then... Jack McGowan, McGowan, who played Burke Jennings in the film, actually died a week after production wrapped. Yeah. And his character died in the film. He was killed by the demon. And this is also important to note because pretty much anyone that was killed by the demon in the film Mm -hmm. died after production. Yeah. And, like, pretty soon after production. Yeah, it feels a little cursy. Yeah. (laughs) So... And I'm going to say this name wrong, and I'm sorry already, but Vasiliki Maliaros was also on the film. He also passed away in post. So, very sad. Um, And then there were several members of the cast and crew, or just, like, family members of the cast and crew, that died mysteriously or with unexplained causes during filming. During filming? During filming. Okay. Okay. They said during and after, I think after maybe in, like, post or, like, a year after it was released. Okay. But, like, still, that's super freaky. Yeah. Like, you know, half the cast is, like, losing somebody or something. I mean, that's insane. Um, so then Jason Miller was, um, who played Father Karras, he found out that his son was struck by a motorcycle on a empty beach that is generally pretty secluded. Like, there should not be anyone on the beach, let alone a motorcycle. Okay. And the boy lived, <laughs> so that's good. During the filming that happened? Yeah. Wow. But his son was, like, hit by a motorcycle on wow. a deserted beach. Okay. And what world? <laughs> so then Ellen Burstyn, or Chris McNeil, um, famously retched her back in the scene where her character was slapped by Reagan, and the take where she was injured made the final cut. Mm-hmm. Linda Blair also suffered a back injury during a scene where she was rigged on the bed. That scene is also in the film. Yeah, I thought, didn't one of them, like, actually break? Linda. Okay. Yeah, she broke her. And this actually developed a long-term spinal injury for her. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, and, and, yeah, because they used it in the film. So, when she screams out in pain, like, she just broke her back right then. That's her actually breaking her back. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, super freaky. So, then... To continue this list. Okay. And this is all during... I was going to say, this is a lot. This okay. is all just during filming. I'm not even at once the movie was released, so let me do okay. it during filming. So then a carpenter for the show cut off his thumb. Oh, my gosh. And a lighting tech lost a toe. Wow. I okay. Think, I, the way they made it sound was like a piece of equipment fell on his foot and, like, they had to... Okay. But still... <laughs> wow. What the hell? Then, you know, they what have... the ale, Alana? What the ale? <laughs> I know. So then they have the bronze statue of the demon Pazazu. And that was like, they ordered it and it was lost in transit. Like there was no record of where the statue went. So then mm. they had to reorder the statue. Okay. Or something. But that 
delayed production. Um, there was a location trip to Iraq that was delayed from spring to summer. And then because of that, when they finally got to Iraq, nine of the 18 crew members were either like dying or like not doing well due to dysentery and sunstroke. Oh, wow. Okay. Nine of 18. Sounds like they went in a bad time of year. Bad time of year, but also like... That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Um, And so Ellen Burstyn famously said this, which is, I don't know if it was a jinx really, but there were some really strange goings on during the making of the film. We were dealing with some really heavy material and you don't fool around with that kind of material without it manifesting in some way. There were many deaths on the film. Linda's grandfather died. The assistant cameraman's wife had a baby that died. The man who refrigerated the set died. The janitor who took care of the building was shot and killed. I think overall there were nine deaths during the course of the film, which is an incredible amount. It was scary. That would be scary. And again, that's like not including like random, like this is just her memory. Well, and or random injuries or injuries, everything. So it is, I mean, at least, what did she say? Like nine people at least. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and so William Friedkin was really, really freaked out by this. Yeah. I mean, as a director, I would be freaked out for sure. So he asked Father Birmingham, um, who actually was consulting on the set to like keep religious accuracy, I guess. Okay. He asked him to exercise the set. <laughs> I was going to say, I'd be smudging, I'd be saging that place. Like. I'd be like... I don't know. I wouldn't do a seance. I don't want to mess with yeah. that. But, you know. no, we'd be burning some sage for burning. sure. So, yeah. So, he obviously did not get permission to do a proper exorcism, but he blessed the set with the entire production team present. And apparently, the occurrences pretty much stopped after that. So, whether this was, like, group manifestation or what, at least... That's a lot of stuff. Though. It stopped. And this is just during production. So, let's get to, like, quickly after the film. There's some weird stuff. When you already mentioned a few deaths after the film, right? Yeah, like a week after filming wrapped and that type of thing. So this is more about like the audience and people seeing the movie. Oh, okay. So after the film was released, it was pretty much one of the most infamous movies of all time because people were coming in with like reports of crazy crap happening. So people were vomiting and fainting in theaters. Hmm. People were experiencing severe nightmares after the film. There were major amounts of reports like they were saying several theaters across the country not just like one place or something where ushers or people working at the theater needed to be under doctor's care after working multiple showings of that film Hmm. and as a person who has worked in a movie theater (laughs) i mean i definitely if i had you know a half an hour between theaters to clean or whatever i'd hop into a movie but i couldn't imagine going into like the exorcist like four times in a row yeah like that's crazy um but yeah, like, I had to go to doctor's care. Um, people, I guess, hospitals were overrun with cases of people vomiting, having hallucinations, having fainting spells, wow. all sorts of crap after being carried out of the theaters on stretchers, pretty much. Oh, my gosh. Um, and this is in 1973, so I'm sure the effects were way better then than they seem now. And yeah. I'm sure this was, like, the first movie of its kind that was really this, like, spooky and scary. When it was intense. Like, there were it's some intense. scenes that were intense, yeah. I mean, even there's just, like, stuff where, like, you don't think it's scary, but it is scary, mm-hmm. you know? 
Um, when then didn't he do, um, I'm trying to think of what the scenes were, but like where he would do flashes of other things. Yeah. So he'd do like the subliminal messages yeah, where yeah, like yeah. on like the, you know, if you're looking at like negatives of a film, we're getting real old school here, people, but he would like clip in a picture of a demon. Yeah. So only some people saw it and some people didn't. Yeah. And like, it was only in certain scenes. Like he said, it was like the most intense scenes yeah. he would do it. But well, it's funny because I feel like as a kid, I don't really remember that. But as I watch it as an adult, I'm like, oh yeah, that's so obvious that that's cut in there, you know, because I mean, you can, it's not like it's super quick where you don't notice it. But it's like a blink and you miss it type yeah. thing too. It's so weird. Yeah. But yeah. I wonder if some people are like, more impacted by that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I, again, I don't know, like, I feel like I was totally that teenager where, like, I'd be like, I'm brave, I'm whatever, and then I'd, like, go to a haunted house and freak out. Oh, so girl, I know. I remember. I, <laughs> I remember teenage you. <laughs> you know what, Mom? We don't need to. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, y'all, I got stories. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that'll be, like, a bonus thing if we ever have a Patreon where we'll just, like, we'll do a ha- Halloween or a, yeah. this is the time Alana got freaked out about this or that. That'll Let, be fun. Let's take Alana to a haunted house because yes. she'll still freak out. <laughs> Um, and this is the other thing too. So people would actually show up to churches claiming to be possessed and like, it was like a huge uptick. Cause I mean, exorcisms aren't that common. Like I think 90% of people who think they are possessed, it's mental illness. Um, go see a therapist, get on meds Mm -hmm. if you're having these moments. Um, and like some of the priests were actually, like, cashing in on it. Like, they'd be like, ooh, I'll charge, like, $100 to exercise your soul, which, like, priests are supposed to be, like, frugal and, like, live very simple lives. So that's, Hmm. like, messed up on its own sort of way. Yeah, I think they're going to have to go to confession. So there's one more thing linked to this movie. Did you know there was a serial killer involved with the making of The Exorcist? I don't think I did know that. <laughs> Tell me about it. You know, I love a serial killer so this, story. Don't actually love the killer. This is a somewhat solved case, and you'll see why I mean somewhat solved. Okay. Um, but very infamously, Paul Bateson, who appeared as a radiologist in the film. Okay. During a scene where Reagan was getting a scan. Yeah. Um, was a alleged murderer. Okay. Who did he kill? Well, let me explain something first. Okay. So, Friedkin wanted to have, like, the most accurate representation of what that type of medical visit would be. Mm -hmm. So, the whole team in that scene was, like, real doctors, radiology techs, everything. Oh, that's cool. They get their 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, I think that's cool. You know, they get those residuals their whole life. Yeah. Um, And Bateson was just, like, working as a radiology tech pretty much um, at that time. So... He was arrested in 1979, so a few years after the movie, but he was murdered. He was arrested for the murder of the film critic Addison Verrill. Um, and the story is that he picked Verrill up in Greenwich Village, which is a very gay area of New York City. And after being intimate with Verrill, um, he hit Verrill in the head with a skillet and scabbed him several times. Um, and while awaiting trial, he actually confessed to other murders of gay men where he would pick them up, kill them, cut up the bodies and place them in plastic bags before throwing them into the Hudson River. Wow. And these murders had actually been happening since 1977. Um, and they were like, 
the NYPD were actively investigating this case. There was like, there were several bodies. Um, they said at least that were being found, like the the bags were floating up in the river, and they were much, finding yeah. parts. So the NYPD found at least six bodies. Oh my gosh! Um, and he claimed to have killed even more, and there was not enough evidence to actually link him to the case. So he actually only got um, convicted of the Addison Barrel murder and received twenty years to life in prison. Okay, and um. Did he serve all that? Yeah. Okay. And speaking of crazy shit. Okay. <laughs> Friedkin, the director mm-hmm. of The Exorcist, visited Bateson in prison. Oh my gosh. And received the rights to direct Cruising, which is a 1980 film where Al Pacino was in the NYPD investigating the murders of gay men. And supposedly Bateson also consulted on the film. Cruising? Cruising. I have never heard, I thought I've seen every Al Pacino movie. I have never heard of this movie. So, Mom, I think we have a movie we gotta watch. I was gonna say, gotta, man, I gotta check Al Pacino's movies off my list. I thought I'd seen all his stuff, but I don't remember that one. What yeah. year was that? Uh, 1980. Okay, I was too, so I yeah. probably just missed that one. Yeah, because he was, he was arrested in 79. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he was only charged with one murder, but yeah, uh, alleged serial killer, which we cannot prove, technically, mm. but... He may have, well, he was for sure in the movie, but may have been like one of a, a huge serial killer. Oh my gosh! Yeah, um, I've never, I've like never even heard of that case, but yeah. Um, and I, this case has just popped up in a lot of pop culture. I watched, I think, three documentaries about this on various platforms, mostly Discovery Plus. Get a subscription; it's great. Um, and then one of my favorite podcasts. And that's why we drink and their sub show rituals both covered this case. Okay. Um, and I mean, there's tons. It's like American Hauntings is that it covered um, the serial killer case? No, the Roland Doe case. Oh, the Roland Doe. Okay. But actually, the serial killer case was covered in, and that's why we drink. I think because Christine or M mentioned it, and then Christine actually did like the murder case. Oh, later. okay. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. Um, if I remember that right, it's been a long time since I like binged it. But um, yeah. But that's. The Exorcism of Roland Doe and The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does it sound like it's a cursed movie, Mom? You know, well, I mean, I've heard, I don't remember all of those details, but I've heard a lot of that stuff before. And yeah, it does seem like a lot of bad happening to people that are attached to the same project. Yeah. So to me, it sounds like, you know, there's definitely a reason to be a little superstitious about that. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I definitely would not want to risk it. I would not want to be involved in the filming of that movie if all of that was going on. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because, like I said, like all of them were like, yeah, it was just weird. Like, it's not like, you know, we can prove it, but it just, there was weird energy or lots of people died or, you know, and the fact that they like blessed the set and things seemed to calm down, like even that's kind of interesting. So yeah, I don't know. It's just like. A very interesting case, and that's why I wanted to kind of do both, because... Yeah, no, they definitely go together, so... Yeah, yeah. All right, well, thank you for that. It was very interesting. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. You're and welcome. you know I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, I also love that movie, um, but, yeah, I feel like I see it in a very different light now. I'm like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, well, Especially yeah, when you have an attached to a real person. Like a serial killer, and, like, there's a real human that this happened to, and... I mean, everything. It's just, yeah. it's, it's wild. All right, my darling. Well, um, I appreciate you, and we thank you all for listening. 
Yeah, I appreciate you. Make sure to keep following the socials and um, all the good things. We're definitely probably going to release our first flight soon, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah, you guys will like a little flight. We'll get a little tasters of a few different things. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm not quite sure what we'll do for our first flight, but I think it'll be good. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> All right, y'all. We'll see you in a bit. But uh, thanks for listening, and we appreciate you. We appreciate you. Bye.